Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Because I have been a chairman of a school board, uh, and I've even been a liaison between the state legislature and the school district when it comes to educational issues and this type of thing, every time I see an article when it comes to education, it kind of perks my ears up. And and I I want to, to bring this to your attention because I think you're going to find it kind of fascinating as well. Uh, it's an article from the Herzog Foundation, and it starts out this by saying, among last year's other lessons, none may, may be more important than this. Our taxpayer-funded education establishment cares more for adults than children. And I will say I have definitely found this to be true. Consider the evidence. Public school union bosses pressured officials to close schools and keep them shuttered beyond what medical authorities rec- even recommended. In, in spite of the obvious harm to children, of, of school closures, unions throughout the country lob threats and, and issued demands. In Chicago, for instance, the union went so far as to sue the mayor to keep schools closed. In San Francisco, the city had to sue its own school board. A public education system that failed to do the right thing by our children has, has kept union bosses empowered and politicians coward. Now, thankfully, our country offers an alternative, one that proved its mettle this past year. In in a recent survey of public school and Christian school parents, the Herzog Foundation found that parents of children who attended a Christian school were vastly more satisfied with their school experience. Now, Christian parents reported their schools were open even as nearby public options closed, while only 8% of the school parents could report that their schools never closed, a quarter of Christian school parents did. Now, the survey found that during the pandemic, Christian school parents found it easier to manage their their child's time, uh, communicate with teachers, manage their child's uh, assignments, and were better able to keep up with their child's morale uh, than that of the parents of, of children in public schools. As a result, while just over half of public school parents reported being satisfied with their child's education in 2020, a full 80% of Christian school parents were. Now, as the country gears up for another possible you know series of lockdowns, and we're, we're seeing those you know, obviously already with the Delta uh, variant, It is worthwhile for parents on the fence about Christian education to give it a second look. The the data is is unmistakable. In a panic trying year, Christian school parents and their their children fared far better than their public school counterparts. The, The data offers us hope on several fronts. Now, parents across the country are uh, expressing growing anxiety about the the teaching of critical race theory, for one, in, in the classrooms. Uh, in this survey, 70% of all parents do not believe their school should be teaching that white people are inherently privileged and black people and others are oppressed. And, and, and that should be encouraging to you, that 70% of parents 
actually believe that we shouldn't be teaching that. Moreover, 80% of all parents do not think that their school should teach that, you know, achieving uh, radical and racial justice uh, requires discriminating against white people. In other words, while American parents may disagree on a, a great deal, they are united in the belief that many of the central tenets of critical race theory should not be in the classroom, whether the classroom is funded privately or publicly, it doesn't matter. These findings are powerful for those who oversee Christian schools and for those parents making tough decisions about their children's education. In public schools, too many parents see a system that seems more eager to cater to adults than children. And this past year, those tendencies were set on overdrive. As public school unions found uh, and, and fought both science and reason, to, to keep schools closed. In the face of that, parents ought to consider a broader set of options, including Christian schools, whose parents report more satisfaction and more and and more attention to students than their, their public counterparts. Now, many parents are are coming to the same conclusion. And, th- and here's here's something from the postmillennial.com. Uh, Seattle public schools have lost so many students that the district is now begging for parents to re-enroll their children. This, this, I know shouldn't be surprising, but when you read about it and what's happening, you just have to shake your head. In a recent tweet from the Seattle public school system, they said that, quote, did you know the number of students enrolled at SPS, that's a Seattle public schools, uh, determines our budget. Right now, we are seeing a decrease in enrollment, which means a decrease in our budget. SPS continues to work on making sure we have a balanced budget every year. That's their tweet. Now, the tweet linked a document on the SPS website outlining the budgetary challenges facing the district. Quote, next school year, Seattle Public Schools will have a Get this, $69.8 million budget shortfall. That's almost $70 million shortfall. That's not their budget. That's just their shortfall. While next year's budget uh, reductions will be challenging, more significant shortfalls are projected beginning 2022 and 23. So they're saying even more are coming. In a tweet from Christina Jimenez uh, on on, uh, Graham Hill's enrollment, at the school there, uh, she says this, do you know any entering kindergartner or first grade families who are assigned to Graham Hill and not yet registered? If we can increase the enrollment by five kids, we can get a lot more funding for PCP, classroom teachers, office and nursing staff. Last spring, she's continuing to tweet here, last spring, we lost 0.5 specialist teachers, 0.5 office staff, and 0.2 nursing staff in addition to several classroom teachers due to the drop in enrollment. Encourage, encourage your neighbors to register, please, with a big exclamation mark. We are in need of more support to our fabulous, inclusive, and diverse neighborhood school, which, with which incredible teachers and staff and a new remarkable principal PM me 
if you have any questions. Now, I would say to that, that if the staff and the administration was truly that remarkable, then why are you having to beg for students? I mean, you, you it, it's one or the other, right? You know, this, this despite millions of dollars being funneled into the district as part of the American Rescue Plan and with lower costs of operating the schools due to almost no in-person learning or programs from March of 2020 to April of 2021 and limited in-person activities through the end of the, the 2021 school year during the coronavirus pandemic. According to the the uh, Seattle Public School Systems web, their own website, and, and this I I know numbers are hard uh, over a podcast or over the radio, but you, you've got to hear what what uh, this is about uh, what, what they're saying here. The pandemic. This is a quote. The pandemic also resulted in lower enrollment than expected, a loss of about. 1,650 students, many of them in kindergarten from 19, uh, from 2019 to 2020 enrollment. And that during that time, it fell to uh, 1,246 students. So it's even a bigger drop this year. <laughs> it's Those are amazing numbers. Yet the numbers do not correlate with the numbers released by the Seattle public school system. They, they, they say they lost, you know, like 216 kids. But but what what's happening here is they're trying to basically scam money. Uh, a source within the, the, the uh, Seattle public school system told the post-millennial that the, the final enrollment is not reconciled until later in the school year, around November or December. The, the source alleged that students who leave the district are kept on the rolls. And why, why would they do that, right? Because various sources of federal and state and local funding are tied to that enrollment. So if you can, if you can have your, your enrollment number high, you know, you're counting a student until like December, then you can get money for that student, even though that student isn't going to your school or in your school district, you're still getting that money. And we're talking about significant money. In the state of Washington, uh, where this podcast originates, uh, we, we spend over 17 thousand dollars a student per student per year so we're talking about a lot of money here now the post millennial also filed a request for the enrollment figures for students at uh, another school it's it's the broadview thompson k through eight so it's it's a kindergarten through eighth grade which has uh, been the location of an ongoing uh, violence due to a homeless encampment on the grounds. Now, this is the school, believe it or not, you may not have heard about this, but this is the school where the, the city and the school board allowed a homeless camp to grow on the school property. And social workers were even hanging, uh, were handing out free uh, drug needles there. And there was some, there was some violence uh, on, that happened there at the encampment and everything else. It, it was an absolute mess. It was previously reported by teachers that enrollment had dropped significantly due to that encampment. Yet the, the, the P, uh, SPS told the post-millennial that numbers increased dramatically for this year for a net game of 30 students, they said. <laughs> this despite the Seattle Public Schools acknowledging that the encampment was causing enrollment challenges and 
the opening of a new public school nearby. So you, you again, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that that uh, you know you you gain thirty students, but you know what, this encampment is causing a lot of problems with our budget. Right? It doesn't work that way. In in fact, he, this is this is an astonishing figure. The Washington State Public Schools, so all of the state of Washington, lost over forty seven thousand students through December in 2020-2021. 47,000 students. That's incredible. I, I mean, they, they lost them to private schools. They lost them to char- charter schools, pod, pod learning, homeschooling, uh, even families that are moving out of state. Parents told the post-millennial that, that, that their, their reasons for leaving the district for, uh, for other options included lack of in-person instruction and low quality of education uh, offered online. Uh, but many other parents cited uh, the radical curriculum as the, the reason for the exodus. Uh, a parent who wished to remain anonymous uh, told them that, uh, that, quote, I did not realize what my kids were being taught until I had to listen to it every day in my living room. And, and I've, I've heard that statement from a lot of different parents. Now, let's... If, if, if you if you want even one more bit of what's happening within our school system and why uh, parents are taking kids out of the public school system, here's here's about graduation standards in Oregon. Um, now this is this is from the the or, uh, Central Oregon Daily News, and it, it says that graduating seniors in Oregon no longer need to show proficiency in essential skills through a standardized test. But education officials say, you know, they haven't scaled back the need for students to prove they know how to read, write, or solve math problems. They say, since the essential skills law was passed by the legislature, I have never experienced a student who earned uh, the, the required high school credits for graduation not not pass the essential skills. And this was actually a superintendent, um, superintendent Klein from Redmond. Uh, in my opinion, the, the uh, suspension of the essential skills will make no difference in the successful um, preparation of students for college or career. So I would say to that, then why do away with them? If you, if, if you, if this is not going to make any, any difference, then why did you do away with them? Because that's a bunch of baloney. Now, Governor Kate Brown of Oregon quietly signed Senate Bill 744 last month, which paused for three years the essential skills test and directs the Oregon Department of Education to review and revamp state requirements for high school diploma. I mean, can you believe this? They, 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 you don't have to basically read, write, or do math in order to get a diploma anymore in Oregon. Senate Bill 744 gives us the opportunity to review our graduation requirements and make sure that any role that that assessment plays in that process is sound. Then this was a spokesman for for the Oregon Department of Education. In the meantime, it gives Oregon students and the education community a chance to regroup after a year of half a year and a half of uh, of, of disruption caused by the pandemic. Now. I would say so they are admitting here that they have failed to teach kids during the pandemic. I mean, this is what they're saying. We failed to to to, to teach kids, and so we're going to have to redo things and just give out diplomas no matter what. 
in addition to learning enough or earning enough credits over four years in math, science, and, and English language art, they are required to show proficiency in, in essential skills by earning at or above a cut score on one of the, the approved assessment options in, in their districts, so, such as like the ACT, the SAT, and the AP exams. They, they have to either take one of those and, and see that they you know, can read, write, and do math um, or, or demonstrate it another way. Um, and even in this article, it talks about how hundreds of colleges and universities have, have stopped requiring the ACT and the SAT um, tests for incoming freshmen. And that's, that is not because they're not good tests. It's because that they have been targeted by the race beating crowd. I mean, I, I talked to an administrator, uh, um, administrator at a um, university. It was a private university. And this dean of students was um, commenting to me about how uh, they don't like those tests because they, they believe they're racist. You know, if, if, in other words, you have a story problem that has to do with a backyard, let's say, you know, you go to your backyard and you count so many flowers or whatever. Well, you know, black kids, they can't, uh, you know, they, they don't necessarily have backyards, so they can't, um, you know, they can't really understand how many flowers you're supposed to count in your backyard. And so the, 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 the tests are racist. And so they, they don't want to use those tests and they're, 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 um, they're not using those tests because they think that, the, that, that they're racist. Um, it's not that they don't work. <laughs> it's, it's just that they're not woke enough. Now, students um, can also pass the essential skills test by submitting work uh, examples that showed that they had mastered these ba basic things and they didn't even ha have to take the test. But now we're doing away with all of that in Oregon. Uh, Senate Bill 744 does not remove Oregon's graduation requirements, it said, and it certainly does not remove any requirements that Oregon students learn essential skills, said this uh, <laughs> head guy from the spokesman from the Oregon education system. It does not change Oregon's graduation statutes at all. <laughs> Senate Bill 44 also does not amend or repeal academic uh, con content standards. It, it is misleading to conflate the, the subjects of standardized testing and graduation requirements. Well, yeah, you're right. It, it is misleading to test kids to see what they know, right? I mean, how can you say it's misleading to test kids to see what they know? It doesn't make any sense. Oregon teachers unions supported the bill. Surprise, surprise, right? Uh, and and has been working for several years to get rid of the essential skills testing requirements. And guess what? They did. The union said that the tests can act as a one-size-fits-all standard standardized testing barrier to graduation for students who may otherwise have more than enough uh, proficiency and skill to graduate and go on to great success. Oh, so you don't have to know how to read and write and do math to go on to great success? Then why do we need the school system at all? According to the legislative record, the bill, nearly all of the, of the public comments during the, the committee, um, when, when they were um, evaluating this, this bill and whether or not to vote for it, uh, it was in support of the measure. And that, to me, is just sad. Um, Here's another another quote. Now, uh, quote, more than ever, any review of Oregon's graduation requirements must include the perspective of communities who have been historically 
unserved and disproportionately impacted by inequities embedded in our current system. Now, this is a statement from the Oregon Partners for Educational Justice, a, a community-based network of agencies that work together, you know, towards social and, and, and racial equality or equity, actually, uh, is what they say. Now, you notice here that they, 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 they use the word equity and not equality. And, and we've done a podcast on this. You can go back and you can listen to that. You know the difference. And there is a difference. Um, you know, it's, it's not social or racial equ- um, equality. They call it equity. So expecting all kids to read is what they're saying here. To, expecting all kids to read, to, expecting all kids to write and to do math before they are given a diploma is basically considered racist, is what they're saying. Quote, it is critical that Oregon's diploma requirements and proficiency assessments ensure all students, especially black students, indigenous students, and students of color, students experiencing poverty, students uh, with disabilities, and English language learners have access to the unique social, emotional, and academic support they need to thrive, said this statement from them. So what you're saying is that over $15,000 a student, which is what they, they have to spend in Oregon, over $15,000 a student per year is not enough money. You just simply want more. That's what it's saying. Now, this person said that that uh, when Oregon's current graduation standard standards were adopted in 2007, less than one third of the state's students were from communities of color. And now 40% are. So, quote, leaders from those communities have advocated time and again for uh, equality um, in, in graduation standards, along with expanded learning opportunities and supports, he said. Senate Bill 744 creates a process for Oregon to develop new graduation requirements, including the demonstration that students have learned essential skills that are more inclusive and better reflective. The, learn, uh, the learning of all students. So we need to just understand, this is what they're telling us, we just need to understand that white students uh, do better than non-white students, that non-white students can't do as well as white students. They need more support and help. And we can't expect them to learn as much as white students. Okay, great. I got it. Now, <laughs> Now, there's a number of, of people that have gone on to, to say, you know, how bad this, this uh, new law is. And it, it's, it's just basically we, we need to look better by bringing up the numbers of, of graduating students is what a lot of this is about. Um, the, the, the bill tries to, to, to make the numbers look better, even though the kids are learning less. So we're going to graduate more students, even if they have not learned to read, write, and do math. And, and, and they pat themselves on the back for doing this. It's, it's just, it's one of those things that you just, again, have to shake your head at. Um, now, um, now there, there's a, uh, a, a, a an institute called Portland Cascade Policy Institute. And uh, a guy in there by the name of uh, Micah Perry, uh, he wrote that, and he noted that the bill was not uh, accompanied by a 
ceremonial uh, signing, you know, how a lot of times they will have this big press release in the governor's office and they'll hand out pens as she's signing each, each letter, you know? Um, And, and it's no secret why they didn't have this. They, they, they did this in the dead of night. The new law all but admits that public, uh, the Oregon's public schools have failed despite per pupil spending hovering near the national average. The state has the third worst high school graduation rate in the nation. Though the bill could artificially boost those numbers, as we were talking about, it will harm students in a variety of ways. While the proficiency requirements are waived, an Oregon public school diploma will mean little more than just a participation trophy for showing up. And, and, And really, almost not even that. As many Oregon high school graduates head off to college in the in the coming years, they may find themselves unprepared. Uh, for higher education. They're just not going to be prepared for it. And then they're going to have student debt and they're going to be dropping out anyway. Um, You know, so what's the point of free public K-12 education if the student has to spend money learning the basics that they didn't learn in K-12? Proponents of the bill argue that these are newly relaxed, that these newly relaxed standards will benefit uh, students of color. Well, how exactly these students will be helped re, re, really remains unclear, but watching elected leaders lower standards sends a signal to students that, you know, our, our politicians do not expect them to succeed other, you know, in, in, at all. If lawmakers truly cared about helping the underperforming students, they would directly, you know, send resources toward things that were actually effective in their education instead of cheapening their diploma. That that sound that you hear <laughs> dur- during the next few years will be the sound of thousands of public school parents heading for the exits. And you're already seeing that. Many feel that if their elected representatives have given up on their students, well, then they should give up on, on the public schools. They deserve that option. They deserve the option to enroll the in public charter schools, in private schools, in homeschool networks, in learning pods, uh, and they deserve the financial flexibility to pursue these options. That's why the state per pupil school funds should should follow students rather than the, than the other way around. It's, we, you see, there is a in in every part of our society we have a system where basically the dollars follow you. The dollars follow you because you are the ones spending spending it. Uh, even when you get down to, um, let's say, our, our medical uh, dollars. If, if, I, if I go to the hospital, then that hospital is going to get the money from my insurance. And and, and those dollars, let's say I go to a different doctor. And well, the, the money doesn't stay at the first hospital the money will follow me to the different doctor. And, and that should be the case with our students. The money should follow wherever they go to get educated. The, the, the states have, have released um, reliable test scores from, from the past um, spring, and, and they're failing. They are absolutely failing. We, we have seen a plunge uh, in in where P, where the students nor, should be and have been in past years and where they are now. We're seeing uh, we're seeing drops of like 
it's 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 crazy when you start looking at at where our children are today because of the failure of our system. Despite these numbers, some on the left have decided that the answer is not to insist that schools use the the 190 billion dollars in emergency fund funding from the federal government and and the covid school aid to help these students they they have they have decided that that they they want to pursue other things with that money and things that uh you know like like saying in, in Oregon for instance the the Oregon Department of Education urging that teachers learn to ab- abandon racist math practices like asking the student to show their work or to worry about getting the answers right. We, you, you, they're, they're taught not to do that anymore because it's racist. And those type of things do not help kids learn. They do not help kids understand how it is to do math. This is, this is a moment when, when kids need leaders to stand up for them, not find ways to paper over problems by issuing them meaningless pieces of paper like government governor brown and the oregon legislature just failed the test and we need to do better we need to help our kids learn and vouchers i believe are a great way for that the dollars need to follow the students you may agree you may not agree but i would love to hear what you have to say on the subject and you can always do that at uncommonsensepodcast.com Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.